We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Dan Bach of the Roto Grinders, and it's the Daily Fantasy Football feed. Thanks so much for giving this listen uh, and a download, and of course, a subscription. If you haven't subscribed to this, maybe you just caught this on social media somewhere, make sure you do click uh, that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast Spotify, Apple, wherever, because this is going to be a banging feed come about 90 days or so from now when we get hopefully real daily fantasy NFL to be talking about. Going to have a lot of new shows, going to be bringing back some of your favorites. Uh, We're in the planning stages of all that right now, but uh, get excited. A lot of great things here to come on this football feed. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking with Scott Hansen here in a moment, and we're going to discuss a little bit about uh, the NFL, maybe some ideas so they don't run into a similar situation like we saw today with Major League Baseball, and uh, some off-season thoughts, and of course, best ball. It's growing uh, leaps and bounds, and uh, we'll give some ideas for you guys in terms of what you should be doing in terms of building those best ball lineups and uh, you know, kind of some early off-season thoughts about guys that we think could pop. So we'll get to that here in just a moment. One thing, though, I wanted to address, and I don't have a daily podcast anymore, so I thought this was as good of a spot for me to address it as any, is uh, basically what happened with us in SiriusXM. Um, I had a few people reach out to me and said, hey, Dan, uh, we got baseball back, we got basketball back, I'm waiting to hear you on the radio, and nothing. Where'd you guys go? And uh, here's the story. Basically, in the middle of June, right around then, um, we got uh, a call from management and basically said to us uh, in no uncertain terms that, you know, we appreciate everything you've done. You do a great show. Got nothing bad to say about anything that you've done. Have never had negative criticism about, you know, you're not doing something the right way. But uh, we just really want to terminate your contract. And they were absolutely within their right to do that. So it's not like they did something wrong. Like they can do that. Um, But with really no warning and no explanation, it's a pretty hard way to kind of uh, be taken off the air, especially as we've grinded like six years with them. So as somebody who's kind of been at the heart of it from the beginning, 
until the end. Um, man, it, it, it shook me for a while, and I didn't address this for a while because I didn't think it was really necessary. You know, we are at our best when we have daily sports. We've got DFS cranking full steam, um, and we're helping people make money. We're on right before lock. Like that is why I think that show worked so well for Sirius XM. It, it put authentic voices in the most important time of lineup building uh, on a huge, you know, fantasy platform. I mean, it, the day I started at Roto Grinders, one of my goals was to say to get that show, which we soon had a few years after. And the reason for it was because I knew people would listen. I knew there were people driving around wanting to make lineups, not being able to uh, necessarily do the work themselves. And if there was big news to be had, they had an easy platform to get that news and make changes accordingly. And I think we succeeded. I think we did an awesome show through our entire time there. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's going to be a huge gap that they have to fill because, you know, the one thing Roto Grinders is known for, it's daily fantasy. And the people who are talking about it are the same people who are in the trenches with you night in and night out. That was the one prerequisite I had of anybody who was doing shows and still have to this day is if you're doing shows, you got to be playing because uh, you not necessarily putting your money where your mouth is, but what's going to be the motivation for doing the research if you are not out there actually playing the games. And, uh, you know, for me personally, somebody who's really busy and I don't play as much as I used to, I made it a fact to be playing every night that I did a radio show because what I spoke about and what beer spoke about and what crane and what, um, STL Cardinals and big T uh, and Dean and, and all the hosts that we had over the years, the one thing that I could always say is, you know, we were, I felt, the most knowledgeable people on the station talking about DFS. And especially right before lock, there wasn't a better time for it. Um, so, uh, unfortunately, our time is up. And um, there's, you know, nothing we can do about it. And fully, you know, respected, thank everybody over there who gave us that platform to do what, what I love more than anything. I mean, radio is... My background, that's what I started. That's where my real passion has always been. And uh, it's going to be tough to not necessarily have that. But um, the good news for all of you out there who are like, man, now what am I going to do? Well, make sure you download that Roto Grinders app. Now, it's a feature we've had for a while, so this is nothing new. But you can stream audio only from the RG app. And basically, if you have a, a, a car that has... XM radio, then you've probably got a car that's got Bluetooth and you can play it right through your speakers. So um, a lot of the same stuff that we did on the Sirius XM show, we're doing every single night on Grinders Live. We're doing on Crunch Time right before lock. And again, you're talking about, you know, the site that uh, I, I think is, you know, delivered the goods longer than anybody out there. And, uh, and when you talk about authenticity and and, you know, the voices, I don't, I don't think it gets any better than Roto Grinders. So uh, that's my recommendation for you. If you're looking for that outlet is make sure you download that apps because we got content for you uh, pretty much seven days a week uh, from a media perspective. And uh, that's an easy way to get it. But uh, I thought I would shed some light on that. And uh, again, no, no ill will. Was I surprised? Absolutely. Is I disappointed? Absolutely. Um, do I wish we were still doing shows on there? Absolutely. Would I immediately go back and do shows again if asked? Absolutely. But I thought you as people who are part of our community, people who have uh, listened you know, to the show and have expectations of the show, uh, you should know kind of what took place. And, uh, and there you have it. So, all right. Well, enough of that housekeeping. Let's get to uh, the podcast for today. Uh, NFL season. Still a lot of question marks around it, but uh, excited for this conversation with Scott Hansen, uh, Mr. E. Scott, and uh, talking some NFL, getting some best ball for you. And that's coming up now. All right, excited for this. We got Scott Hansen, you know him as S. Scott for one of the best daily fantasy football players, I think, in the history of the industry. Certainly the results back that up. Multi-million uh, dollar winners won several live finals and uh, seemingly every year least has a shot at one of those big 
uh, live finals for the NFL. And uh, a guy that we've been lucky enough at Roto-Grinders who's been a part of uh, the uh, ownership report, one of my favorite shows that Scott has done with Chris Gimino on Saturdays uh, for I think like the last like three or four years or so. And uh, he hit me up and said, Dan, I want to talk some NFL. And I'm like, Scott, you want to talk NFL? I am in for this. And uh, let's jump into it. Scott Hansen, welcome to the show, man. How's, uh, how's life treating you? I know crazy, crazy 2020 going on right now. Yeah, pretty crazy, but you know, we're doing well here and um, you know, I'm looking forward to hopefully having sports and uh, <laughs> you know, it looks like, NBA is going pretty well. It looks like they're off to a good start, and hopefully NFL will be able to take some lessons. Can you hear me? Yeah, we got you. Oh, okay. You sound great. All right. How are you doing, Dan? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Yeah, and, you know, certainly, you know, one of the things that we're going to talk about here, we're going to get some best ball, we're going to get some NFL offseason analysis but uh you know you kind of were alluding it to alluding to it here in that um you know the nfl certainly looks like uh, it's still a question mark on what's going to happen this year where we've got the nba in the bubble we've got major league baseball with today having uh this outbreak for the marlins which you know some people are, are wondering does it put the season in jeopardy and, you know, you tweeted out something earlier today about a bubble with the NFL. And uh, I almost replied to you. And I don't know why I didn't. Um, but when you said I want to, you know, do a show and kind of talk about this a little bit, I was like, heck, yeah, I want to talk about this because I don't know how it works. So, Scott, it sounds like you've thought this through a little bit and feel like you might have an idea on how, like, the NFL can actually do this in a way that's – that can actually work so we don't run into the same situation we just saw with the Marlins where you get a uh, a big spread on a team because let's face it NFL feels like if there's ever a sport where you can have a really quick spread either in a locker room or on the field it's in the NFL right yeah so I mean I have an idea it's not a hundred percent thought out of course and I mean I don't have the financials or anything like that as far as how much this would cost, and I'm sure it would be a big cost to the teams, but a much bigger cost is losing the entire season. So um, my idea is essentially having a bubble for each region, um, just a north, south, east, west. You've got the NFC West and AFC West in the same bubble and so on. So um, if you were to have that, then the bubbles would be a similar size to the NBA bubble. Um, I feel like trying to get the entire 32-team league into one bubble might not be feasible. Um, If it is, that's probably ideal because then there's no travel. But, you know, you'd have to have that. You'd also likely have to have um, some sort of a bubble for free agents and um, some other players who are – kind of on the radar at least of possibly being able to fill in um and with that i think that you'd be able to make things work so um to start off you know you've got the 80 teams or the 80 players per team Mm -hmm. and uh then you've got to file it down so as you go along you know, if you're only letting players in who have negative tests, um, similar to the way the NBA is doing it, then I think that it's possible to work. You just have to have a really big infrastructure in each place, and you have to have enough fields for practice. You have to have enough weight room, weight room facilities. So I don't have the specifics as far as, you know, idea for actual locations to use, but I would think that there are some locations that could potentially work. And Um, The biggest effect is that if you do this, you have no travel for divisional games and you have no travel for um, regional games of the the opposing conference. So like AFC West, NFC West games. And um, essentially that's going to make it so you probably only travel for around three or four uh, road games per per team. Some might even be less. And then um, you're only traveling from one bubble situation to another. Okay, so your your take is four bubble or yeah, four bubbles instead of one, which I think is a little is way more doable because I just don't see 
how they could do what the NBA is doing with the just the vast number of players each team has. It's just right. legitimately impossible unless they wanted to literally take up all the resorts on Disney themselves. And let's face it, the NBA already has that in lockdown. So that's yeah, not and, happening. And, and where do you have enough practice fields for teams to even get practice in throughout the week? Yeah, you know, so. I mean, it, it, believe it or not, Disney probably could figure it out because they, you know, that <laughs> worldwide of sports is, they've got more marshland than you would believe. But, um, but you're right. Like there, there's so many things that come into it, but catering to say eight teams instead of um, you know, the, the, the full allotment seems a, a lot more reasonable. I think the, I think the biggest question mark we have here, and this is, this is the, the thing that I don't think the league wants to do is you, you'd basically be a succumbing to like, okay, we're going to have no fans. And I think most teams are okay with that. Like, there was right. some talk that you're going to have like 20% fans, but at the end of the day, even if you get like 20% fans, what, what do you really even get out of that? I mean, yeah, yeah, maybe you get some, some parking revenue, some ticket revenue, but it's, it's so marginal in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. It's especially compared to the it. risk. Yeah. Especially compared to the risk. And, 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 and let's face it. I don't think the risk is on the players per se, being an outdoor venue as much as it, it's right. just bad public policy to be having a bunch of people come together to watch a football game. Like, it just doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense. But yeah, the, I, I think the, the, the biggest question we need to ask ourselves is, like, what sort of place could handle something like this? The first thing that kind of came to mind was, you know, maybe an area where you've got multiple colleges – out there but then the flip side of that is well what about the colleges themselves they they might still be uh having school they might still be having football and and then the next question is like are they ready to play these games like in high school facilities like i mean you can put a hundred yard field anywhere i just have a hard time feeling seeing that they're gonna play you know legitimate professional football games and anything that is not a full-size stadium and I just don't know that we could run this many games in maybe one full-size stadium and again this is just kind of just my first initial thoughts but I'm sure they can be debunked pretty easily um what are your what's your thinking on this and 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 on top of that man it's a I mean it's a long time you know you've got the NBA in the bubble for what two months here do we think Mm -hmm. NFL players are ready to stay in a bubble from training camp potentially through the end of December that's that's a long time man like I agree with you I love it but it's a very long practical is it is it practical like do we think the union is going to sign off on something like this I think the union would I think that it's something that they wouldn't exactly be looking forward to from an experience standpoint but I think they would love to see that the league has their back and that they're prioritizing safety first you know, and that's something that I think that a lot of professional athletes right now are nervous that, like, should we even trust these people? <laughs> you know, do they have our best interests in mind um, or are they putting money first? And yeah. I think if they're able to delay things a little bit, feel things out and look for possible venues. I mean, one of the first ones that comes to mind to me is uh, the Oregon Ducks facility, how they have just this massive facility that could accommodate something like this potentially. And I believe they have at least two full-sized fields. Um, And I mean, you could run two NFL games at the same time on those two fields um, on, on a Sunday, you know, and still have the games even at the normal times. Um, If you have a couple of other schools across the country that are like that, I mean, I really don't anticipate college football working out because these, these kids aren't, being paid. Um, I, I don't see how they're going to be able to distance themselves. I don't see how they're going to be able to monitor on the same level for coronavirus and be able to keep everyone safe uh, with, you know, efficient testing and having the funding for all of that. It just doesn't seem practical for college football, except for maybe a few of the biggest schools, but who are they going to play then? I mean, yeah. are you going to have some schools playing and some not? Uh, how, how is this going to work? 
So yeah, I mean, as somebody who who grinds DFS for both, I would love to see college punt until the spring. And even if you have the top players not play, at least it's uh, you know maybe NFL in the fall and then college football in the spring. Like that would just be wonderful for my workload. I, you know, that's a selfish uh, a selfish you know um, desire, of course. But it, it's also like I mean, college is just a different animal itself because they're so reliant on the revenue to drive not just their football program, but everything that they do. Like their entire sports is, is pretty much subsidized by their football. And it's not just the big schools. It's like when Western Michigan gets their ass kicked by Michigan, you know, they get a million and a half dollar check that helps them be able to run women's soccer and the wrestling team and the field hockey team and the golf team and all this other stuff. I mean, it's a lot of money for a university of that, of that. uh, They literally refurbished their own asses after they've been kicked. Exactly. Yes. So I, I I mean, I, I think it's, it's a little bit of a, it's, it's a different animal. And I think it's a, it's a really interesting thing to see because you're right. It's almost weighing like the, okay how much risk do we put on these kids and how much risk is there really on them in terms of, yes, contracting the virus is bad. We don't know what's going to happen in terms of long-term issues with it. Obviously in the short term, very few people in from the ages of 18 to 22 are having, I don't want to say even severe symptoms, but certainly very few are, are, are seeing the hospital. Can it happen? Absolutely. It can happen. And I think, that's like the one thing that would derail any NBA, MLB, or certain certainly NFL is if there's somebody who contracts the virus and it does more than any athlete has has happened to them to this point. Because we've known guys like Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, Kevin Durant, um, many baseball players now are, are you know Swan Soto. Golfers have turned positive. There hasn't been a single story about one of these players who have had, you know, horrible symptoms that have potentially put them in the hospital. And I think when yeah. that happens, well, I mean, that closest... can change the that, that can change the the narrative. I think a little bit more and, and maybe make the players, you know, a little bit more concerned than I think a lot of them are currently. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like Spencer Dinwiddie may have had a little more issues than a lot of the players, but but you know, it, yeah. definitely, I, I agree with your point and. Um, but the problem with NFL is if you get one, say running back who carries the ball 20 times a game testing positive or, you know, taking a test on Friday, you get the results on Saturday and it says negative, but you know, what does he do between Friday and the game on Sunday? You know, say he ends up positive and he ends up being touch tackle by you know most of the players on the opposing defense and he's right next to all the players on the sideline all game I mean this is a situation where one person could spread it to you know potentially half of each team and if you knock out half of a team you know essentially Avengers style (laughs) you don't know which players exactly are going to get it and um, it could be you know, a star quarterback, it could be, you know, someone who's one of the faces of the league. And then it could be an entire team's, you know, core of skill players, you know, who knows who would end up testing positive. But if that happens, then they're going to miss games. And it might even lead to more than that. It might be a situation where they're still positive, you know, for a game two weeks later, and all of a sudden, maybe that happens you know, around the league somewhere else too. And you might have multiple teams that are just being gutted um, at least for portions of the season. And um, what exactly are they going to trot out as far as a team? I mean, who's to say that the coaches aren't going to get it and you have your entire coaching staff and half your players um, out for one game, you're going to have like replacement coaches and um, you know, basically replacement players. And it's like, and it's probably not even going to be one game. It's probably going to be two games because it was right. like 14 days that you're looking at. And, and here's the, the kind of uh, the, the troublesome part about it is we see what happened to the Marlins. Baseball is a game which 
is nowhere near as physical as the NFL. You don't have that much touching. Yeah, you got people together like in a dugout and, and in the locker room a little bit. Uh, but even in that capacity, if you masked up and, and you know, you, you're, not, uh, you're, you're not in too close you know, proximity to each other, you can, you can play the game itself pretty easily. NFL, it's just not possible. And we saw an MLB – um, you know, speculation is like there may be like 14 players and coaches there with the Marlins who are, who are positive. Well, Major League Baseball, you know, the minor leagues go deep. And yeah, there's a difference between a AAA player and a Major League player. But I don't want to say it's a marginal difference, but there's plenty of those guys who've played AAA baseball who have had a cup of coffee or uh, right. a half a season or so as a big league player. I don't think anybody would look at them and, and scoff and be like, oh. They're not going like, to embarrass what? themselves. Exactly. They're not going to embarrass themselves or, or put anybody at risk. Where the NFL on the flip side, you know, we see these preseason games and we just laugh at how bad they are. You know, think about it, like how bad these fourth quarters, third and fourth quarters are the NFL and we – we kid ourselves and be like, you know, 95% of these guys or 90% of these guys don't even make it on the team. And we can see why they're just not the level of athlete that it takes to be a professional football player. And a, the rosters aren't that big in the NFL. And I don't think the owners are necessarily going to uh, allow them to expand them in, in, in B, I just don't know that they're able to play at the level that is required. And, um, right. and I think that's kind of like the biggest issue here with maybe even NFL to, to MLB, where I think MLB can weather it because you can play those guys for two weeks, have these, hopefully everybody over anybody who gets, gets COVID can, can get by it. And then they come back and the NFL, if you're down without, you know, your, your entire offensive line for two weeks and you've got Tom Brady at quarterback, you're best off probably not playing him those two weeks because it's not going to be pretty, the outcome. And um, you just it's impossible to be competitive. It'd be impossible. Right. And, and when you talk about offensive line, I mean, just think about offensive and defensive lines. Think about how they line up. You know, if yeah. anyone on the offensive and defensive line has it, it's going to be transferred because, I mean, they're breathing heavily. They're sweating like – fluids <laughs> they're yeah. getting there and um when you have an offensive line having um having players missing from it you see major major holes at the nfl level it's a very shallow position across the league and that's one of the reasons that you see the play deteriorate so much in the preseason is yeah you know you you even saw it with like the xfl and yeah. um you just you don't get anywhere near the same level of play and um, the other position that's like that to a great degree is the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another position where when you lose the starter, it can be a very big drop-off for a lot of teams. And if a team does lose that, then they're a very, very different team for a couple of weeks. Yeah, no question about it. And, uh, you know, I think the biggest thing that the NFL has to do, I talked about this with a bunch of RG guys as well. And, and this is where major league baseball literally blew it by the way, is they somehow thought that having a lag in two days between getting a test and getting the results was an appropriate uh, response, which is completely ridiculous. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to act like I'm the most knowledgeable person in the world of, COVID testing because I'm not but um, there has to be some sort of rapid tests where you can get results within a handful of hours I'm not maybe it's maybe it's even like 12 hours but you can't be sending your results off to Utah and then waiting two days like apparently Major League Baseball may have been doing like that is just absolutely piss poor policy and I mean, maybe that speaks to the leadership there. And, you know, we've seen a lot more responsibility with the NBA. And I think it's a little bit easier on them to, to have that because they built this bubble. But, you know, if the right. NFL wants to say, like, listen, we love Scott. Okay, we love E. Scott. He's a smart guy. He's won a lot of money. <laughs> but we can't do a bubble. At the very least, 
they've got to have instant, I don't want to say instantaneous, but they have to have the ability to get these test results way faster. And right. even, even currently, I think the, 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 the agreed upon was when it falls below 3%, then they're going to start testing people every other day instead of every day. And, and I don't even like that because I think as we've seen, especially with this sport, it's only going to take one or two guys who lag a day because you're testing every other day to get in there and then infect a number of players on the team. And it's going to spread like wildfire with the NFL, right. like we talked about. I mean, if you're not going to have a bubble situation, you need more frequent testing and you absolutely can't have more games than days with tests. You know, how, how does that make sense? And, you know, these guys are going home to their families at night a lot of the yeah. time. So, I mean, you could easily pass it to your entire family as, uh, as a player, you know, and, and that just, um, or, that's or not a your situation. family passes it to the player because exactly even the exactly. player can be responsible and say, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to practice. I'm going home. That doesn't mean the kid's not going to school. It doesn't mean your wife's not going to the store. Um, you know, people are still living their lives and can still contract it. And just to say the player is doing the right things doesn't mean his family is not, or even if they are, doesn't mean they can't get it anyway. Right. So, I mean, when it comes down to it for me, I really think that the NFL is a little bit late on some of their policies and doesn't have anything firm in place. And I think they need to delay things a little. I really don't think they should be having players report in a few days. Yeah. You know, I think they kind of need to take a step back and look at uh, how the MLB has failed so far. You know, I'm not yeah. saying that the MLB can't get it on track. I think it's possible, but they need to attack it. it this isn't something to just be like, okay, well, we're going to do this to appease the fans and, you know, and, and the players so that they'll agree to play and um, and then let's go. Let's just make yeah. sure we get out there. That's the most important things. No, it's you handle the safety issue first. Yeah, and, and the thing about the NFL, even more so than MLB, is they don't really have to worry about weather. You know, they can play into January. They can play into right. February. They can play into March if they wanted to. I mean, football – you know, some people have been saying, well, Pan, you know, they don't want to be playing these regular season games. They do it all the time. You know what? Yeah, and, and, that's, and, that, and that excuse for college, and that's where, like, I think college, if anything, I talked about punting to the spring. I'd love to see it. But I think the, the realistic option for them is just to kind of, like, hold off a little bit. Like, you have an entire month yeah. of, of December where you've got crappy bowl games that nobody watches anyway. Like, just – just take a break. Like, don't be in a hurry. And I think the same thing applies to the NFL where, you know, there's going to be a ton of testing. There's going to be a ton of issues that, that come up early. And if things aren't ready to go, then don't go. Because let's face it, the, the television networks, the highest rated shows of the year are football games. So if they want to play in the middle of freaking summer, They'll, they'll broadcast the games because people are going to watch. And, uh, and, and I just think that, like, they can dictate when their games are being played where, you know, a sport like Major League Baseball does have weather issues. sport like NBA, for example, like, if they don't get it done by a certain date, it's going to bleed into the next year. So um, I, I don't think NFL has those issues, and I think they need to be flexible on that front. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. All right, well, I think we covered that pretty well, Scott. Let's kind of get into some off-season stuff with the NFL. And, and one of the games that has really emerged and one of the things I actually love to do as a lead-up to the football season is best ball um, because you get the best of drafting, which we all love, and 
none of the in-season minute management, which we all hate about DFS. <laughs> and, uh, of course, one of our favorite apps, Draft, uh, dissolved, you know, this, this past season. But the makers of Draft came out with Underdog Fantasy, and they rolled out a pretty massive uh, best ball mania, they're calling it, million-dollar prize, prizes, 200K going to first place. So not even too ridiculous on the, uh, the top-heavy payout nature, which I know uh, I certainly like. And, you know, I've fallen in love with this stuff because it's the best kind of time waster you can have. If you're at a kid's practice, uh, if you're just lazing around and you got nothing to do, firing up some best balls doesn't get much better than that. And um, have you had a chance to, to check out the app? Have you had a chance to, to, to do much best ball here this offseason? Because uh, it's something that I'm, I'm completely into, totally. Yeah, I've definitely checked out the app, and I, I do really like the structure of this uh, tournament and, you know, the roster construction, uh, the scoring, all of that. I think it's really good. Um, I haven't actually done any best ball teams yet because, so maybe unlike the NFL itself, I like to do my planning before I do any sort of action. Sure. And I'm about, I'm like 24 teams through my projections. I got eight to go, and um once I finish those I'll I'll start drafting a little bit but I kind of just like to get that out of the way first um and you know there there are a couple of dates that are important coming up where I don't really want to draft some teams where um we might find out that the player opts out <laughs> you know yeah so yeah um, it's weird because like there's there's a lot of like talk about is it better to draft early when there's less information you can speculate on things and get guys at a at a better draft point, like for example, like Antonio Brown, like obviously right. if he would get signed in the next month. He's going to go way higher than he is right now. So you can, you can speculate on that. And if you think he is, it, you're, you're getting a good value on him. Where if you don't think he is, um, you know, then, you know, waiting doesn't really put you at, at, at much of uh, an advantage because uh, basically, you know, the, the closer you get to the season, the less likely people are going to draft him. So th- right. there's, you know, there, there's two sides to, to that coin. Definitely. Um, and, and injuries is the other thing. Now, we don't have preseason football, but guys get hurt in training camp all the time. Um, mm-hmm. And that can really, really swing, the, swing, you know, the value of certain players. And, and, I, and I'm probably leaning towards that you probably have a little bit greater advantage the later you wait. But – I'm not completely sold on it. And let's face it, if I draft 150 of these teams, I got a lot of drafts to do between now and the, uh, <laughs> and the start of the season. So the, I'll have plenty of exposure to, uh, to, to drafts early on. So you said you got like all but eight teams done. So let me know what, what are the eight teams you haven't done so I don't ask you about players from those squads. I mean, you can still ask me, but, but okay. the eight teams I haven't done are starting with the New York Jets in alphabetical order. So – you know, anything after the N <laughs> for, for <laughs> as far as the city, um, you know, I have gotten in the Giants, actually. I've gotten in, like, the Saints and the Patriots. So I've got everything before them. And um, I love it. So, yeah. Alphabetical. You don't even go by divisions or, con- or, nah. or conferences. It's all alphabetical. It's okay. how I have it set up on the spreadsheet. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh- but, All right, um, well, I want to throw a couple names out there. I think this is the best way to approach it. And, 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 you know, from a strategy standpoint, we've done some shows. We're going to do more on that. Um, but, you know, crazy offseason, I want to know what you think of Cam Newton. Because he's a guy who I've probably drafted maybe 10 teams so far. I haven't yet to get a Cam team. And uh, I don't know if I like that. You know, he's going to New England. Right. He's on this one-year deal. And he's a guy that, you know, the range of outcomes could be a backup to, uh, dare I say, like MVP. That's probably a, a really high range. I don't, see, range. That I don't <laughs> see that happening, especially with the rest of the offense around him. But he's certainly a, a, an impact player, or could be. Yes. Uh, what, what's, your, what's your take on, on, on Cam and, and, the, and certainly that Patriots team? Because I think they're super intriguing having no Tom Brady around for the first time in, it seems like, 20 years. Yeah, um, I do like Cam a decent amount, especially for best ball, because um, his style of play lends itself to blow up games. You know, mm-hmm. he has those multiple rushing touchdown games or, 
you know, those games where he breaks off a 40-yard run or, you know, they have like a nice play-action deep ball or something like that. So, you know, he he has a style that does tend to blow up from time to time. And I do think that they're going to use him a decent amount around the goal line. So I would expect um, a nice amount of rushing touchdowns from New England. Um, however, as far as the team outlook, uh, while I do see them as a playoff team, I see them being a very low scoring and um, low points given up type of team. You know, I, I think that they're going to use sort of a ball control style. Um, they're going to let their defense try to win things for them because they still have a very good secondary. And um, I think that because of having Cam, that's going to bolster the entire rushing attack. You know, there's one thing that Cam does is he he helps open things up a little bit for his running backs to get a little bit more in terms of yards per carry than they otherwise would because of the threat of him on like a, a read option type of play or um, or even just when it comes to the threat of him scrambling. Um, everything that comes along with having a running or a quarterback as mobile as Cam um, sort of helps the team with ball control. Yeah, and it kind of fits, like you say, what they are going to want to do because they're, they don't have, like, a ton of just incredible offensive skill players. I mean, Sony Not Michelle is, is their, I guess, top running back, and the dude's a complete and utter plotter. They got Nikhil Harry, who caught, like, four passes last year. Julian Edelman, I think, is a nice player, but I also think he's a guy who just – you know, was so in tune with Tom Brady that right. you 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 can't necessarily expect that to translate with uh, with, with a new quarterback. Yeah, and I, I mean, just, I no mean, tight ends. Like, I just I don't I don't get it. Like, I I agree completely with your with what you're saying, and I just think like Cam feels like a a guy who could just almost do everything that needs to be done to get them W's, but maybe not put up the gaudiest numbers. Right. I think he would be the type of quarterback that whether in best ball or DFS, you may not want to stack as much because yeah. he doesn't really have the high end receiving option. I mean, Julian Edelman's yards per target is like below league average for wide receiver these days. So he's not even yeah. as efficient as he used to be um, even with Brady. And I don't see him having that same connection with Cam. I think he's going to be solid, but I don't think he's going to be anything special. And Edelman in particular is not a best ball type player. He has a lot lower of a ceiling and a high floor, which is really not what you need. Yeah, no, completely. And, you know, the one thing Cam has going for him too, and I, I'm, you know, this is straight narrative street, but I mean, he's been written off. I mean, the dude signed a contract for next to nothing to play for New England. And I think he did that knowing that like, his career's kind of on the line. Like if he has a big season, he's going to go get paid and make a lot of money playing somewhere else. If he shows up and looks like the player we saw last year, his career could pretty much be over, you know? And I think from what I've seen social media and whatnot, the dude realizes that he's putting in time. He looks ridiculously fit right now. And we know that like he's had injuries that have set him back. So whether he can overcome them over the course of a, of a season, we'll see. But, you know, certainly I think the narrative is there for him to, uh, to him, to have him bounce back. Um, right. I think, I think he's also the, he's got a very fantasy friendly game. He doesn't yeah. necessarily have to play great to put up big fantasy numbers. And I think that because of controlling that offense, the way, the way that he will, I think that he's going to be involved in a lot of the scoring. Yeah, I, I can get behind that. All right, who's who's the guy that makes the leap? Like, is there a Lamar Jackson at the quarterback position this year that, you know, we – I mean, I loved him last year coming into the season and got him in, like, the 12th round or whatever it was and, you know, turned out to be QB1 and was all said and done. Is there any guy that we think kind of falls into that bucket this year? And maybe it's not quite as off the radar as I think – he was last season, but um, thoughts on a guy who can maybe be a lot better than people are, are expecting. You know, I, I don't have anyone in mind that I think is going to make a leap to that degree, but I do think Kyler Murray 
um, is probably the one that has the most potential to do something like that because he has the similar rushing upside. I mean, he has rushing upside. He doesn't have quite yeah. Lamar's rushing upside. But getting the number one receiver um, in DeAndre Hopkins is massive. Uh, Kenyon Drake is an excellent, excellent fit for that scheme. So I think that the team is going to move the ball really, really well. And I think they're going to be able to cap off drives with touchdowns a lot more efficiently than they had been last season when they didn't have that number one receiver and they only had Drake for half the year. So um, I really see that as a potentially high powered offense that um, could be um, that could have Kyler as an actual MVP candidate. I mean, if you just get that team to 11 and five or something like that, which I do think is in their range of outcomes, then all of a sudden, you know, he might be talked about um, on that level of Lamar Jackson last year. I mean, he probably won't have the same raw numbers, but, you know, impact wise, I think that he has a chance to make a very big leap in terms of fantasy. And I think that especially with respect to his ADP, it should be um, something that has a high ceiling. Yeah, I think Arizona is a team that takes a step for a lot of reasons. I mean, Kingsbury even kind of came out and said, like, he got too cute early on. You know, if you looked at that offense as the year went on, it got better because it's a huge adjustment going from calling plays at Texas Tech to calling plays in the NFL. And, right, you know, that's an adjustment that's going to take, you know, more more than a couple of weeks to do and uh and I think as the year went on that that team got a little bit better and when you bring in a a Hopkins but on the flip side you didn't really lose anything like normally when you when you when you trade for a player like that you're giving something up they gave away a what looked to be a washed up David Johnson um I mean looked like Jerome Bettis running out there last year Hmm. and and you know it's funny you mentioned Drake and and I'm lukewarm on Drake. Like like he could be all right, but the Ooh, thing I'm that, high on him. But the thing we shouldn't forget is Chase Edmonds is still there, and he is a great backup for that system. Remember when he played last year? He didn't play a lot because he ended up getting hurt. But in those games that he did play, he was very very effective. And they still have Christian Kirk. They still have the ageless wonder and, and Larry Fitzgerald. They drafted like four receivers last season. Uh, I'm with you. I think this, this offense takes a major step, um, not just because Murray gets more experience, but I think because the coaching staff knows right. what to expect a little bit more. And, uh, and you, can't, you can't underrate that. I mean, when, when you got Kingsbury going against a, a guy like Andy Reid, who's been in the league for 20-some-odd years, I mean, it's, it's a mismatch that you, you really can't account for. And, yeah, you know, year two is still not year 22, but it's going to be a lot better than year one. So I, I love that call on, on that Arizona offense. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I think that they, they've got a lot of potential. I think that in their division, you know, they do have some, some solid defenses to contend with, especially with um, the Seahawks now getting Jamal Adams. Yeah, um, good point. But um, their schedule outside of their division is uh, potentially very weak which is a sneaky thing to look at when you're, when you're kind of building these best ball lineups too. Um, where, where do you fall on like quarterbacks and, and tight ends? Cause this is, this is the proverbial question. You know, I think the chalk says you play, you, you draft two quarterbacks and two tight ends. Do you subscribe to that or do you think there's a case to be drafting more at that position? Because again, you know, it's just taking your best players at each particular position. You got to draft, you know, you got to have only one quarterback, but you're going to have, you know, two running backs and a flex. So therefore typically it makes more sense to obviously draft more of those positions when you include buys, but where do you fall on that? Because I think it's a, it's an interesting talking point. Yeah. Well, I think, it typically depends on the quality of your highest, uh, your highest skill player at that position. So, you know, if you have someone like Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, um, anyone who's one of the top performers at their position, you probably only need one backup. Um, if you, you know, at the same time, I could still see taking a third just because um, if you're not doing many leagues, 
and you want to make sure your your team has a chance if someone's injured then you know i can understand it and you know there's also something to be said for just taking the good quarterbacks from other players because there are certain positions you can get late in particular wide receivers with upside um but uh as far as tight end i i'm probably more likely to go with three unless i have like a kelsey or kittle type of player but um Typically, I, I might be going away from those players unless they kind of fall further than I expect them to. And I like the idea of taking a few tight ends that I think have upside. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you, too. Like, I have had, uh, you know, I think I've a dozen teams maybe, and I think I got one Kelsey and no Kittle to this point. And tight end is dropping like a rock. Like, even Zach Ertz is a guy who's not being drafted particularly high. And, you know, a guy like Mark Andrews, I feel, is just going to have a ridiculous amount of touchdown regression this year. I mean, he, he just – he scored so many touchdowns last year, and I just don't know if it's going to be sustainable, you know, back-to-back seasons. Right. And he's not they threw 36. <laughs> that was just an, a ridiculous amount for them to throw. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and, and you know what? Something to watch out for with Andrews when drafting early. He he does have a pre-existing condition. He's one of the few players that could be um, considering opting out. I don't know if, if he is at really? all, but, okay. you know, he, he has some sort of pre-existing condition that might make him a little more at risk than other players. So I, I'd be a little bit careful on him early on before I know that he's playing for sure. But um, at his price, I'm probably just not likely to get him anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. Um, a couple of tight ends I, I am looking at. Uh, I think Johnny Smith is interesting because, you know, this, he is the clear number one tight end on that team, you know, with no Delaney Walker. I know Walker was out most of the season, but he really stepped up late in the season, kind of similar to how we saw Andrews do at the end of last season as well, or two seasons ago, and then broke out. I think Smith is a guy, when you, when you look at pedigree, you look at the, the build of this guy, he just hasn't had opportunity. And you're right. getting him pretty late in most drafts. And, and the one thing I love to do, and, and you know, we, stacking I think is important with this format, you need to, you know, obviously you want to win your league, but when you get to the second round, if you finish top two, you right. move on. You have to win that week. And to win a week, you're basically playing a GPP. Right. And what do we do when we play GPPs? We stack. So mm-hmm. I think if you're not stacking your quarterback, then you're not doing it right. And you can get a Tannehill, you know, Jonu Smith stack for like literally next to nothing. Tannehill is not being drafted very high. And, and that's really one of the, one of the things that I think is important. I hope people get out of this who are drafting these things is to work that stack. And if you can get, you know, quarterbacks later, whether it's a, even a Darnold in a Herndon or a, a John in a, in a Tannehill, I mean, they're not great guys, but if, if you're drafting two or three quarterbacks, because you're going that route, stack them all up and it just takes one big week for you to necessarily advance. Yeah. And I like Johnny in particular as I like him as a part of a three tight end committee, or if you have a high level tight end ahead of him, because he's going to likely have a few spike weeks. So he, he works for best ball because he's got a little more breakaway ability than a lot of other tight ends do. And so he is likely to have some of those weeks that kind of win you the week. And Um, if those come at the right time, then he could be someone who isn't on a whole lot of other rosters who are, who are competing with you in the playoff scenario. And so, yeah, it's, it's one of those ways that you can kind of get ahead of a field that is already going to be pretty sharp. Yeah. And, and again, it's like injuries, you don't think about it so much when you're drafting now, but look back last season and I wish we still could look at our draft app and look at some of the squads that we had out there. Injuries are the real deal. I mean, they are just so prevalent in football today with yes. the physical nature of these things. I mean, even the quarterback position last year was as decimated as I've ever seen. And like you say, if you go two quarterbacks and one of them gets hurt, I don't, you're not drawing dead, but you're darn close to it unless the other guy just goes absolutely bonkers. And, and right. same with tight end. And that's where I, I don't know if I do three and three, but I, 
and and again, a lot of this is dictated on 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 who you're drafting at certain spots, but exactly, uh, I'm not afraid to go that route, and I don't think you're doing it wrong. Okay, a couple of guys I need to get to. Um, what do you think of Gronk after a year off? I mean, this guy was you know tight end one seemed for like the past five six years before uh, kind of a rough season before uh, he decided to retire. He goes to Tampa, a ton of weapons, way more than they probably had in Tampa. But I don't – I think a year off can do a guy good, especially a guy who's only like 31, 32 years old. It's not like, like this guy is, uh, is, is that long in the tooth. Any chance we see Gronk hit like, I don't know, nine, ten touchdowns this year? Um, I think if he were to hit an amount like that, he still wouldn't have a ton of actual yards. You know, I, I think that it – it's possible. You know, I think it's within the range of outcomes. I think he's probably more likely to have around six. And, okay. um, you know, I think he'll get a decent a decent amount of yards for a tight end. But I'm not really that in on Gronk this year because um, there's, you know, you look at Tampa Bay from last year, and one of the reasons that they put up so such big numbers is they had Jameis chucking it, um, throwing interceptions, having to bring – the team back from his own failures, you know, and so he's just racking up the counting stats. Whereas with Tom Brady, he's going to be a little bit more efficient um, and they're going to jump out to leads more and they're going to have games where they just grind it out with the run game at the end because they have a big lead, you know, and that's something that was not happening in Tampa Bay last year. And um, not only that, but, you know, you had Godwin and Evans last year without a, a real um, major number three until until Perriman kind of filled in for Godwin. But now you've got um, you've got another third receiver. I think uh, Tyler Johnson coming in as a rookie who I think could be a decent number three, at least a guy who takes some targets away from the other players on the team. And you've got Gronk and you've got some running backs who okay, can do Howard a little bit too. better in the passing game. Yeah, you've got O.J. Howard. You still even got Cameron Brait. So, I mean, you've got a lot of mouths to feed there. And while I think that the the top players are still going to get theirs, theirs just isn't going to be as much as it was last year. And Tampa's defense wasn't garbage. Like, they they're, they they improved, yeah. They're, yeah. they're on their way up. So, you know, yeah. this team is going to blow some other teams out and then grind it out with the run game sometimes. I don't, I don't think that's a bad call. All right, um, we're running long here. We'll do this again because this is too good. But give me, give me a guy that you are not high on that you think other people are. Mm, okay, let's see. Man, let's, that's a tough one. Okay, I'll throw a name um, out there. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Okay, him – I'm I'm lukewarm on him. I'm not low on him or anything, but I don't like the idea of spending an early round draft pick on him, like really early. I kind of feel like you got to get a deal on him to really make it work just because I don't know how involved Damian Williams is going to be. And I kind of don't like to pick uh, with that type of uncertainty. You know, um, I like players that I know I can project volume to. Now, getting pieces of the Kansas City offense – I'm not going to fault you for that at all. Uh, I mean, I really like Miko Hardman. He's someone I'm high on for that offense, yeah. especially for best ball. I mean, he's perfect for best ball. Um, even Sammy Watkins for best ball makes sense. You know, he's going to have some spike weeks likely. Um, so Hardman, Hardman, let me just follow up on that for a minute. If you watched the Chiefs last year, that dude just blew by a number like there were there were plenty of routes that he ran that that he just had the guy beat and either didn't make the catch or the pass wasn't there like the receiver position is hard to break out year one you know we saw a few guys do it last year but it's hard this guy in that offense especially when like Watkins feels semi-washed I'm with you man like that's a guy I think has major major breakout ability I love that yeah Someone else that I like to break out quite a bit, um, even though we already did last year, is DJ Moore. Um, I really like the fit with Teddy Bridgewater there. And honestly, I 
people think they're going to be like the worst team in the league, and I just don't see it that way. I think that when you replace a number three receiver that was Jarius Wright with Robbie Anderson, and then you replace Kyle Allen, who was horrible with Teddy Bridgewater, um, you've got big upgrades on the offense. And I think that having downgrades on defense like they did is just going to lead to potential shootouts and potential high volume passing. And, you know, still all those targets for McCaffrey, still all those targets for DJ Moore. Um, I think that the Carolina offense has a lot of upside actually. Yeah. I think, I think they're in a spot where they, where they could be playing some catch up and, that's not a bad thing for fantasy sports. You know, I yeah. mean, it's, it, it's kind of like, you know, looking at the numbers that, you know, Minshew, and there's another guy to kind of talk about. Um, and by the way, LaVisca Chenault, I'm, I really, really love because I think. Oh yeah. For guy, free, right? He's for free. And he's a guy that like, I mean, what's the one thing Fournette couldn't freaking do last year. He couldn't score yeah, touchdowns to save his <laughs> yeah. life. And if you go back to Chenault when he was at, at, at Colorado, they ran a ton of gimmicky plays with him, either taking the ball wildcat or running him in motion and, and you know, running and, and giving him a, a, a short pass. Like they, they realize like this is a big, strong athletic dude. And as if he stays healthy, I think he can actually be a guy that runs in a touchdown or two for you. Uh, because again, wide receivers, rookies, and especially this year with no preseason games, uh, I think, you know, I I never really love rookies that often. Running backs, I think you can right. get away with a little bit. But even then, it's like pass protection's a big freaking deal these days. And, you know, going back to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, like, do you really want to put a rookie in there? Or do you want to put in a guy who, you know, basically helped you win the freaking Super Bowl the year before, who the only reason he didn't play was because he got hurt. Like, if he's healthy, did Damian Williams – not play well enough to keep his job last year? I don't think so. Like, is he the long-term answer three, four years down the road? Probably not. But I don't know that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, you know, coming in as a rookie with, with, uh, with no preseason games is going to step in anywhere the first five, six weeks and be a particularly big impact. And that's, a, that's why I brought him up is because I, I just think he's being overdrafted. In best ball. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And, and to your point about Chenault, I mean, I feel like there's a scenario where if everything just lined up perfectly, he could be the best receiver in the draft for uh, his rookie season if yeah. everything just clicked for him. Because, you know, I mean, he's getting like actual <laughs> Saquon Barkley is a comp of his um, from PFF. And I mean, he's that dynamic with the ball. You know, he's just the type of player that um, if they just find like, hey, we need to get this this guy the ball, no matter how we can do it, and they just decide they're really going to, that I think he could be a major breakout player. And I like uh, rookie wide receivers really late because they can spike a few big weeks. If you can get um, a guy who maybe ends up unexpectedly in a high volume role, mm -hmm. but I don't like um, drafting rookie receivers early at all. Yeah, and, and I don't know – in you know, Hollywood was the guy last year that people drafted and, you know, didn't really pan out. I mean, the, I mean McLaurin had a great season, and I think a lot of – and I think he's an interesting prospect this year. Um, just yeah, and nobody the, was drafting McLaurin in fantasy drafts early. So. No, no. I mean, he's was. a perfect example of you get this guy for free and he it could was, win you some things. It was Nikhil Harry was the guy people were drafting early. Ugh. And what did he end up doing? Nothing. Like caught like 10 passes last year. He was terrible. And, you know, you look at a guy like Judy, a high draft pick, you look at a guy like uh, um, Ruggs, you know, these guys are walking into systems where there's, especially Denver. I mean, Oakland's drafted a ton of wide receivers, but it's no sure thing that like they're walking into situations where they're going to be high volumes guys like Ruggs that doesn't even fit his profile. In Judy, you got Cortland Sutton there. You still have mm -hmm. Noah Fant there. They drafted KJ Hamler, who was a stud at Penn State. So it's just it's not like a a stone cold lock that this guy's going to step in and, and and be the guy right yeah. off the bat. I mean, 
I think that's a great point to bring up about kind of these rookie wide receivers. Yeah, I mean, I like both of them so much, but when you look at um, production in the rookie season for wide receivers, it's usually nowhere near um, their prime. You know, you have a few exceptions, like A.J. Brown last year is a major exception to that. Um, you got like Amari Cooper is an exception, but um, even Nobody Calvin drafted Johnson, Brown. Nobody drafted Brown. He wasn't a guy yeah, that I mean, were picking. It's, those are the type of players that if yeah. you can get them really, really cheap, then it's huge. But you just don't waste an early pick on him. And, I mean, as much as I like Ruggs and Judy for their potential for a few spike games – I just don't think that the price is usually going to be worth it unless they just fall really far. All right. We got to get out of here, but it's been incredible talking football and uh, be sure to subscribe to this Roto Grinders daily fantasy football feed. We'll be doing some more of these shows uh, during this uh, kind of ramp up to the NFL season, which we obviously hope takes place. He is uh, Scott Hanson, E Scott for Scott. Thanks so much for jumping on, man. This was this was tremendous, and I'll let you get through those last eight teams that you need to grind, and then we'll do it again. <laughs> thanks a lot. Uh, yeah, it was good talking to you. Absolutely. And uh, thanks, you guys, for listening to us and obviously being a part of what we do here at rotogrinders.com. Football season right on the horizon. If you're playing, grinding the Daily Fantasy NBA and the MLB, and you're not a subscriber already, please check us out. I'm telling you, we've been doing this longer than anybody who were the uh, content site of the year for all of them. The Roto World, FSGA gave us that honor, and that's something we're super proud of. And I hope you guys uh, give us a try. And with football season runs around, uh, we've got everything you need, we think, to be a successful player. But uh, for Scott Hansen, I'm Dan Bach. Thanks again for checking us out. We'll talk to you again soon here on Roto Grind. Good job.